the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The most trusted name in news. That's right. That's CNN's claim, but Project Veritas got him again. They released a video today with an undercover reporter talking to Charlie Chester. He's a technical director at CNN who admits that the focus was to get Donald Trump out of office, just no doubt about that, and that COVID fatigue will mean moving on to something else. Listen to this. I think there's just like a COVID fatigue. So like whenever a new story comes up, they're going to latch onto it. They've already announced in her office that once the public is will be open to it, we're going to start focusing mainly on climate um, uh, climate like global warming and like that's going to be our next like um, I don't know like what's the word it's our it's going to be our focus like uh, like our, our focus was to get Trump out of office right without saying it that's what it was right so our next thing is going to be for climate change awareness what does that look like I don't know I'm not sure I, I have a feeling it's just going to be like constantly showing videos of like decline and ice and weather warming up and like the effects it's having on the economy and, and really talking about the head of the network like just who's that is that Zucker Zucker yeah I imagine that he's got his council and they've all like discussed like where they think um, so that's like the next pandemic like story like that will yeah that will will beat to death but that one's got longevity you know what I mean it's not like there's a definitive ending to the pandemic or you know like it'll taper off to a point that it's you know not a problem anymore probably think it's going to take years so they'll probably be able to milk that for quite a bit you know so so Climate change overload. Be prepared. It's coming. Yeah, be prepared. It's coming. He also said uh, in that video somewhere, he said, fear sells. So they're going to be selling the fear of climate change. And what else do you need to know about CNN? Anyway, when we come back, today might have been a bad day for Major League Baseball because the Republicans want to take something away from them that they've had for 99 years. Stick around. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offers valid through 63021. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsoruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsoruspittsburgh.com. A heart attack? He was 47. What about Janice and the kids? Do they have life insurance? No. Call Select Quote now and get the insurance your family needs at a price you can afford. 
In minutes, SelectQuote found John 45 in excellent health, a $500,000 policy for only $29 a month. And his wife Anne, 43, in excellent health, a $500,000 policy for only $21 a month. At SelectQuote, we comparison shop some of the most trusted insurance companies in America to find you the best rate in minutes. And it's free. For your free quote, call 1-800-644-1331. That's 1-800-644-1331. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-644-1331. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Few moments bring you joy like opening your inbox after you've done your taxes, clicking the subject line, and reading that one email you've been waiting for so... What? Someone already filed my return? During tax season, your personal info, like your name or social security number, is all right there on your tax forms, possibly getting emailed and shared more than usual. And that could leave you exposed to identity thieves... Good thing LifeLock monitors your personal info, alerts you to possible suspicious activity, and if you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock helps you keep what's yours. Join today and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com with promo code SMART. That's promo code SMART for 25% off at LifeLock.com. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. The Republicans want to break up Major League Baseball. Uh, the monopolies that MLB, the NFL, NHL, and NBA have had, and I guess you could throw the NCAA in there, have had, should have been broken up a long time ago. Uh, baseball got a special exemption from Oliver Wendell Holmes way back in 1922, and they've milked it for everything it's worth since then. I've really never understood how it's lasted this long. Well, Paul Larkin is a legal research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, uh, and, and he's, in the, he's with the Institute for Constitutional Government for that organization. Maybe he can explain. Paul, thanks for coming on the show to try to explain this to me. Oh, John, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to help out. Okay, so was Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, did he give baseball this, this 100-year gift just because he was a big baseball fan? I mean, was there any... I doubt it. ...good reason for it? I, 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 I doubt he was a baseball fan. He was from Massachusetts, and the Red Sox weren't very good back then. So uh, <laughs> they were in the begin- They were still suffering from the curse of the Bambino. I think having right, gotten rid right. of him. Babe Ruth right. was gone. Well, no. What uh, What happened is this: uh, Holmes said, "Well, the game itself is played in one state. I mean, it's not played across state lines. It's uh, it's played in one park, which happens in one state." He said, it's true the players have to travel from state to state to play the game, but the game itself is entirely local, and therefore, it's not a part of interstate commerce. And unless it's part of interstate commerce, the Congress can't regulate it, so the Sherman Act doesn't apply. Well, the problem was that was, you know, a reasonable interpretation of the Commerce Clause back in 1922. However, over the ensuing 30 years, the Supreme Court had greatly expanded the notion of interstate commerce. And the Tulin case came back to the Supreme Court, and the 
plaintiff argued that, well, you know, maybe the Holmes opinion was right in 22 because baseball was not part of interstate commerce. But now the Supreme Court has made clear that you have to look not just at where the game is played, but that the entire business of baseball and the business of baseball occurs in interstate commerce. Well, the Supreme Court completely misread, you know, the Holmes opinion. And the only way you can explain it is they intentionally misread it. My antitrust law professor in law school, Bill Baxter, said it, even though there was no signed opinion, it was written by Earl Warren, who was a huge baseball fan and wasn't about to go making baseball subject to the antitrust laws. It's a very that, dishonest opinion in that regard. Yeah, that's kind of uh, disturbing, isn't it, that that someone who with the position of a Supreme Court justice would base a decision on the popularity of something or his own uh, affection for the product. I mean, I mean, this is baseball, so it's kind of harmless. But there are a lot of other things out there that could have been given monopolies that would have really been caused a problem. I mean, you can't well, do you that, mean, can you? No, 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 no. And and actually, to to show you how um, the Supreme Court realizes it had, has gone too far with respect to baseball, boxing is subject to the antitrust laws. Football is subject to the antitrust laws. Basketball is subject to the antitrust laws. Everything but baseball. Supreme Court knows that it completely misinterpreted the Holmes opinion back in the tooling case, and they refused to do anything about it in the Kurt Flood case, which came up in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And it was simply because they said, uh, basically, we've gotten it wrong for so long, it's up to Congress now to fix it. Personally, I think that's shameful. If a court makes a mistake, the court should fix it. It's responsible for the mistake. It should correct it. That's what we tell people. You make a mistake, admit it, fix it, and move on. Supreme Court, however, doesn't believe in that. Well, here's what uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah said today. This is a quote. Uh, It's important to remember that this exemption was created from whole cloth by the Supreme Court 99 years ago. It was not put in place legislatively. It is a distinctively legislative decision. So you don't agree with that? You think it's the court that should be overturning it? Well, look, I think it's both. The court mm-hmm. got it wrong. The court probably got it right back in 1922. I would say he's wrong about that. But I would say the court clearly got it wrong in the 50s in the tooling case. And then in the 70s in the Kurt Flood case. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the uh, Congress going forward and saying, the Supreme Court, you blew it, we're going to fix it. That's the way the system's supposed to work. Of course, I also think the Supreme Court should correct its own errors. And unfortunately, they don't always do that. They're unwilling to admit they made it up. Now, um, has this exemption always been on some kind of shaky ground? If somebody just wanted to be... Uh, I don't know if they wanted to just not be shy about going after it. They seem to, eh, let's let a, let's just leave it go. It's it's okay. It's baseball. It just, but it has always in, been there. It is on in, it's on intellectually shaky grounds. But as a practical matter, the Supreme Court adopted the rule in the twenties, reaffirmed it in the fifties, and reaffirmed it again in the seventies. So as a practical matter, it's not on shaky ground. The Supreme Court has said, we are not going to fix it. Okay? What well, I'm saying did, is they should have, but they didn't. Uh, well, how did, uh, how did Kurt Flood um, uh, win, if, if that's the right word, uh, that, uh, the free agency, that baseball has free agency now because of Kurt Flood, but they, they still lost the antitrust case, but were forced to let players um, you know, move, on, move around and play where they want to play? Yeah, and that's because there are two entirely different legislative schemes that govern the same subject, the antitrust laws and the labor laws. In other words, you've got the the antitrust laws that say uh, competitors can't conspire, but you've got the labor laws that says you can have collective bargaining agreements between management and labor, and the collective bargaining agreement can cover businesses that are in interstate commerce. So what you have is you've got the players' union negotiated an agreement with the owners in which uh, they basically got rid of the reserve clause. So the reason uh, Kirk Flood wound up 
generating a positive outcome was not because he won his case, he actually lost his case, but was because it then led people to, to make a different argument because it was the only one left. Oh, so they went a different direction, and, and so he the, the, the original ruling in nine, uh, from 99 years ago stays, but uh, the, the labor laws took over. That's right. But there's a, there is a tremendous practical importance in getting rid of the exception to the antitrust laws, and that's because a plaintiff in an antitrust case, if successful, gets treble damages. Mm-hmm. And, and that can really bite. I mean, you win a million dollars, it goes up to three. You win 20, it goes up to 60. Well, yeah, but I, I also remember the USFL got $3. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that was basically... Sometimes juries do that. Juries will rule in in favor of the plaintiff and give the plaintiff very little money because that means that the plaintiff can't get more even if it were to appeal. And the plaintiff can't appeal if he wins. And even if he tried, he can't get more money because the Seventh Amendment prohibits uh, a judge from adding to the damages award that a plaintiff recovers. We're talking to Paul so Arkin as a legal. Go ahead. It's it's just a way of a of you know a jury saying okay, technically maybe you're right, but we're not going to really give you any benefit from it. Yeah, see, I uh, we're talking to Paul Arkin. He's a legal research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and the, the Institute for Constitutional Government. I am uh, I was a sports guy uh, covering sports in those days, and I did it for a long time. And I, I'm, I'm kind of in the minority among the sports media. Uh, I've always been uh, outspoken uh, when given the opportunity about the monopolies that I think that all the sports enjoy. Um, and I, I st- I've never understood how the NFL survived the challenge from the USFL. Uh, and somehow it, it didn't survive the challenge from the American Football League, I guess. That was 60-some years ago. Well, they they did survive the challenge from the uh, from the American Football League because they they merged. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the National Football League and the American Football League merged, and the AFL became part of the NFL. So the NFL essentially uh, took the AFL into its uh, own organization, and so now you have two different conferences. Um, yeah. I mean, if uh, the, uh, I can't remember the case you're talking about, the antitrust suit brought by the was it the World Football League you mentioned? But yeah, I, you, I United, know USFL it, and Donald Trump USFL. was involved in that. Was okay. Um, I, I do know, however, if a jury awards the plaintiff only in you know, three dollars or five dollars or a million dollars, a judge can't increase it. The Seventh Amendment jury trial provision prohibits that. So well, they, they won a uh, dollar, if, and then it was tripled. yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah, yeah, and and right, and and what that does it's the jury's way of of actually ruling the defendant's favor by ruling in the plaintiff's favor because the plaintiff now can't appeal since it won and the judge and judges can't add to the amount of damages so it's actually technically a way of ruling in the defendant's favor by preventing the plaintiff from getting anything and how um I mean, I, when I look at uh, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a constitutional uh, scholar. I don't see a big you difference a between job. the four. <laughs> yeah. Well, there isn't but, really. <laughs> there isn't really. As far as the business goes, I mean, they, they, there are certain rules that businesses like these sort have to be able to agree, agree on. <clears throat> you have to agree... Uh, on the number of innings in a game, the dimensions mm-hmm. of the field, how many balls mm-hmm. and strikes, because otherwise right. you couldn't have a collective undertaking at all. So there are some things that you have to allow people to agree on, but there are a million and one other things you don't. I mean, you, you don't have to agree on, for example, who has the exclusive rights to all the paraphernalia that's being sold. Um, you don't well, have I mean, to... How, uh, how- how about the fact that there's um, in the NFL? It's ridiculous that there's not a pro football team. The people in Portland, Oregon, aren't allowed to watch pro football in their city. The people in San Antonio, Texas, they can't. There, there, there's no. There's just you. If I want to start a pro football league, 
in San Antonio, I can do it, but there's no network to put my games on because the NFL has them all tied up. I mean, how do you break that up? Well, I, I haven't thought about that aspect of the problem, and it's complicated, perhaps, because if what you're talking about is the telecommunications system, uh, there's a question, I suppose, of whether the federal laws of which the FCC has the authority to interpret come into play. Remember I said mm-hmm. the antitrust laws are affected by the labor laws. I suppose it's possible that the telecommunications laws would have some influence in this, too, but I don't know. You know, uh, unlike a lot of people, I am willing to admit there are a lot of things I don't know, and that's one of them. Yeah, I, I, uh, to me, um, it's it's such an obvious thing that the number of cities that are allowed by the NFL to have teams. Not only that, uh, Paul, that but um, the NFL. If I'm a if I'm a a football player, and I'm pretty good, and I'm 19 years old, I can't play pro football because the NFL has a rule that says I'm not allowed to play in its league until. Um, I'm three years out of high school, it, you know, which means my my uh, my junior year after my junior what would be my junior year in college. Uh, how's that not a monopoly? I, I can't. I have no place to go. I can't. They they say no. We're sorry. You can't. We can't take you. And well, there's not another league. There is. It doesn't exist. Well, I wouldn't say it's a monopoly. I would say it's a conspiracy, if you will. It's a okay, monopoly. I thought they were the same thing. You have but... one. No, here the problem is you have a bunch of different teams who have agreed to the rule. Mm-hmm. That is generally more likely to be challenged under the antitrust laws than any one company or organization or league acting as a monopoly. Challenging monopoly is a lot harder than challenging a conspiracy. And the sort of case you mentioned is not one I believe the Supreme Court has ever addressed. It has been addressed, I think, in some lower courts, because there was a fellow from Ohio State who challenged it a few years ago, if I remember correctly. And he lost. Uh, And he lost. Right, he lost. But I don't think the Supreme Court ruled on that case. And if the case ever went to the Supreme Court, I think the, the NFL would have a difficult time prevailing. On the other hand, if you look at it just as a policy matter, requiring people to graduate from high school and then graduate from college is actually a good idea. The real problem is not that you, the NFL is keeping people from graduating from college. The real problem is the NCAA isn't working hard to make sure that the players graduate from no, college. No, see, I, I actually disagree with that because the NFL not allowing them into the NFL forces a kid, if he wants to become a professional football player, to actually go to class and and understand Chaucer, not that they're not that they're majoring in that, they're, uh, which has if you're a baseball player you can join you can be signed and play in the minor leagues. If you're a football player, because the NFL won't let you play until you've reached a certain point, um, you the only your only recourse is to go to college, which then forces the colleges to to uh, have bogus courses and accommodate people who don't belong in college. They're football players, uh, and it doesn't well, happen I, in baseball and hockey. I, I, I agree with you to this extent. I think what the colleges are doing with respect to football and basketball is creating a minor league for the NFL and yeah. the NBA. Okay? Yeah. There's no, I think there's no doubt about that. On the other hand, it is also true that America grad, you know, has more people each year become brain surgeons than become uh, professional basketball players, and the ones that do – gradually, you know, lose their skills over time as they age. And the average mm-hmm. lifespan, I think, of people in the NFL is only about three to five years. Right. So actually, graduating with a degree and learning something is going to be far better for you in the long run than getting out early and going into the NFL. But, yeah. you know, the NFL doesn't want to agree to that because the only thing they think about is money. I have 30 seconds left. I'm against a hard break. Uh, Paul Larkin. What are the chances of uh, the Republicans making this happen? Uh, with a Democratic majority in the Senate and House, nil. Well, how about two years from now if that changes? Can it can it be done? With a Democrat in the White House, the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they got their monopoly for at least another uh, three and a half years. That's right. They should have tried hey. this back when Trump was president. Right. They should have tried a lot of things. Hey, Paul, I I appreciate you uh, coming on uh, and, and clearing us up. Thanks a lot. 
My pleasure. I hope I was helpful. Okay, yeah, we, you were very helpful, and we hope to have you on again. Paul Larkin of the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. The Brooklyn Center, Minnesota police chief and an officer who killed a black man have both resigned. Brooklyn Center Mayor Mike Elliott. I do not know if... Uh she got wind of uh, an impending termination or not. Um, you know, she, you know, I believe informed uh, the city uh, this morning. Officer Kim Potter resigning two days after the death of 20-year-old Dante Wright. Authorities determined that Potter mistakenly grabbed her gun when she was going for her taser at a traffic stop on Sunday. Wright's death has sparked two days of clashes between police and demonstrators. In remarks at a tribute for the U.S. Capitol Police Officer Billy Evans, President Biden today described Evans as an American hero. He died during an attack on the Capitol earlier this month. On Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 64 points. This is SRN News. If you're a radio listener, one thing I'm certain of is that you're not tuning in to listen to me. So I'm sorry about the next 45 seconds. But we have specifically chose this station because we think we're similar and we love for you to see why our mortgage team might be a good fit for you or someone you care about. One, we've got a direct lender advantage. Our mortgage team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender. There's no middleman, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls, an advantage that often allows us to get you a better rate, saving you monthly and lifelong money. Two, our faith is a big deal to us, and we're open about that. If we seem like a fit for you, we'd love to talk. We or United Faith Mortgage. UnitedFaithMortgage.com. Nice. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Metal Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to animalistconsumeraccess.org. Corporate animalist number 1330. Ryan Animalist number 65233. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Okay, we admit it. Pittsburgh is famous for steel. But what about all the other things we're famous for? Take 1980, when we invented the emoticon. How's that for a smiley face? And the terrible towel. Come on, who else can turn a common household item into a sports icon? The Big Mac? Yeah, that was us in 1967. See, we figured if we like it, so will America. And boy, were we right. You get it. We get it. But this station gets you. AM 1250. The answer. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home download the app today when was the last time you watched your home movies do you have a vcr anymore what about a film projector with technology constantly changing most families don't have a way to enjoy their recorded memories trapped on vhs camcorder tapes film reels and photos that's why we created legacy box over a decade ago legacy box is an affordable mailed-in kit to have your aging media digitized to dvd thumb drive or the cloud Our trained technicians digitize everything by hand right here in the U.S. Imagine being able to easily relive weddings, graduations, baby's first steps, and more. Get started future-proofing your memories today so you can gather the whole family together and begin the trip down memory lane. Plus, for a limited time, we're offering 40% off. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get an exclusive 40% off. Buy today to take advantage of this incredible offer and send in when you're ready. Go to LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to save 40% off. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got The Answer. In White Oak area, we've got a closure with an accident. Poles and wires down Lincoln Way. It's blocked between Jacks Run Road and McClintock Road. Heavy delays outbound 65, approaching the McKees Rocks Bridge. Outbound Parkway East, that stacks up Boulevard of the Allies to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. On the inbound side, also slow into the tunnel. Parkway West congested inbound, about a five-minute delay. Green Tree to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. 
Tonight, an increase in clouds, low 45. Tomorrow, rather cloudy with a high of 66. Tomorrow night, cloudy, low 41. Thursday, mostly cloudy, high 49. Friday, mostly cloudy with showers possible, high 54. Saturday, cloudy and milder, high 63. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, the prosecution rested in the Derek Chauvin uh, trial today. There were riots out there in Minneapolis last night, uh, not because of the uh, George Floyd case, but because of a shooting. Uh, Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man, was shot by an officer who says uh, she thought she was holding her taser. She resigned today. So did the police chief. Ed Bogots is uh, adjunct professor of law, uh, law enforcement at John Jay University. He trains uh, police in the use of force. He's been in law enforcement for 40 years, and he joins us now. Ed, thanks for being on the show again. appreciate it. Hi, John. How are you? My pleasure. Good. So let, let's uh, start with, uh, with an officer mistaking a gun for a taser. How does that happen? Well, that's that's the big question. Um, how does something like that happen? Um, this is not like this officer was a rookie officer or an officer that didn't have a lot of time on the job. I understand she had 26 years on the job. Oh. <clears throat> and, um, you know, many different things could happen, John, uh, during the course of a use of force incident that, that's escalated to this level that it escalated to. Um, this officer could have gone through an adrenaline drop, could have gone, could have experienced excited delirium, um, tunnel vision, um, you know, the heart rate increases, the blood pressure increases, um, things, you know, are out of focus, things don't seem like they really are. This is no way, shape, or form are 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 we, uh, am I justifying this mm-hmm. case because there, there were many breakdowns in this case, um, you know, on the part of, you know, the tactical deliverance of, of the officer. Um, you know, what I've noticed, and I'm sure that your listen, listeners have noticed, when you see a police officer today, and you see them walking around with all this this gear on, and they're all tactically um, appropriate and everything. Um, yeah, you notice that 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 big yellow gun-looking thing. That's their taser. And mm-hmm. I, I've noticed a lot of officers have taken the taser from uh, where it initially was practiced to be placed, which is which is the less dominant side of the officer's body. Now the officer. The gun side of the officer, the firearm side of the officer, is always considered the dominant side. So if you're right-handed, it's on your right-hand side. Right. And, and, yeah. and typically, uh, you know, it's taught that the taser is on the left-hand side, the hip, if not canted backwards a little bit. So there is a differentiation between, you know, the taser, which, uh, which appears and feels like a firearm, and the actual firearm. Now... When you get, I would be interested to see the position of that taser on the officer's body, whether it's um, the front of uh, the, the the breastbone area, which is where a lot of officers are carrying that now because of um, they're, they're they're utilizing exterior uh, bulletproof vests and they come with Velcro or attachments built into the vest where the taser can can go down in there. Now I understand that there are you know, level two and level three retention holsters out there. But, um, you know, when you start seeing the closer proximity, that less lethal system comes to a lethal system, um, it, it, it really can get hairy. You know, that's why we, you know, we teach that, that if you're going to dedicate a shotgun for a less lethal application, you never load lethal rounds into the less lethal shotgun because you know you're going to have a disaster. And that, that was just, that was a terribly disastrous effect. And, and you know what? I'm sorry, I don't believe that was an accidental shooting. Um, 
I, I, I really, I mean, I've watched, I've, 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 I've watched the video. I've, I've researched everything that was out there available. Um, this is, if it's not a training concern and issue now, it will be in the future, and I can guarantee you that they're going to address this with the rest so, of their agents. So, Ed, you don't, you don't think that she really, she thinks she's lying when she says she thought it was her taser? No, I'm not. I, I'm saying I think that she legitimately could have thought, based upon the relative body positioning of the tools on her uh-huh. duty rig and on her person, that she could have mistaken that under the heat of the battle. She could have mistaken that for her taser. Well, she, she intended to shoot him, but she didn't think she was shooting him with a gun. Is that what well, you're well, here's what makes me think that she's you not it's lying not when she's... What, right, here's what's making me think that she's not lying, because it's very evident in the video, John, um, mm-hmm. where she's saying, um, taser, 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 and that's, that's mm-hmm. a command that, that is deployed prior to, it's like a warning, it's like, it's like with OC, you know, if you, don't, if you don't cease and desist, if you don't stop, I'm going to pepper spray you, and you show mm-hmm. the actual canister, then you, you spray, that's, that's the police's way of, that's a police way of, of trying to diffuse the situation before it has to get to that level. So, and I just really think that, you know, is, is that a mistaken identity? Yes. But we have to realize something, John, that we are responsible for our actions. We are meant to be cut above. Mm-hmm. The public expects us to have the ability to be able to differentiate and make decisions like that based upon our learning skills and our skill sets and our training because in the heat of battle, we have to rely on our training. And we don't have time to sit down and synthesize over, you know, legal analysis and this and that. An unintentional act, John, or a negligent act can still be a crime. Now, um, this is a a woman who's been uh, on the first force for like 26 years, something like that. Right. Uh, it's a it's a suburban uh, police force. I'm guessing uh, it's it's Brooklyn Center. I think that's you know it's outside of Minneapolis. So I don't know what kind of an area. If that's if it's whether it's Mount Lebanon or Penn Hills or what we know. Well, how, I'm what told it it's, I'm to. told it's ten miles outside of where the George okay, Floyd so incident happened. It's definitely just a suburb of Minneapolis. Right. Um, right. Uh, how often? I know you don't know the exact answer to this, but just uh, in general. How often would an officer working for a force like that, how many times a year would uh, he or she draw her gun? Oh, geez, that's a great question. Um, I think that that, the answer to that would be um, relative to um, the types of encounters that, that, that she may incur during her tour. Would you say that it's not very often or a lot or... You know, just in in uh, you know, uh, let's just say that uh, I don't know how it compares, but let's just say Brooklyn Center is a community like Mount Lebanon. How often does a Mount Lebanon police officer have to take his gun out and point it at somebody? Well, I'd have to concur to to them on actual statistics, but yeah. um, you know, a presumption on my end would be not not very often, not not frequently. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, but but you know, it's all it takes is one time. I've I've known officers that have been on the job for thirty years and they've never taken their firearm out of their holster. And then again, mm-hmm. I know other officers who have, based upon their duty assignment or their locale, the demographics, geographically where they're located, that they've used their firearm. Um, in the course of their duty, uh, more times than they would want to, or they have displayed. It's it's not illegal or improper for an officer display to display their firearm at someone as a, a, an actual physical and, and mental deterrent. It, it's now, not the you know. But this is a relevant toxic. question, though, when it comes to this woman. Um, I mean, what if the last time she had to draw her gun uh, in a in a uh, in a situation was eight years ago? You know, or maybe she's done it three times in her career. You say you've, there's there's there are people who've never had to take it out. So, I, I guess what I'm getting at is that if it's if that's the case, um, not thinking you're holding your taser when you're actually holding a gun would not be as 
unheard of, maybe, for someone like that. Well, that's a good point, John. And, and I just want to throw this little mini statistic out for I was watching one of the local, the local and national newscasts the other day, and they had a really distinguished panel on. And the statistic was brought up that uh, over the last 10 years, um, on, on at least 16 different occasions, a, an officer mistook the taser, um, the, 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 fire, the taser for the firearm. Wow. And have actually drawn and shot people with a firearm instead of using the actual taser. And, and you saw you know, this before have, this case became delight here, the Dante Wright case. Well, I, 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 I've, I've not had enough time to actually look into that because it was yeah. just it was just announced yesterday. I saw yeah. this yesterday, and I, I really, I really want to look into that because it's something that I share. In, in my, my, my classes with my students who are future police officers mm-hmm. um, at both John Jay College and Franciscan University in Steubenville and um, had a very interesting discussion with them last evening in my police management class where uh, with this, uh, this subject came up and it was very interesting how attuned that they were to the training issues, the philosophy of training, and we talked about the excited delirium and, and, you know, and what a police officer goes through. And it was really interesting to find out how they were um, associating the actions with, um, with training and with, you know, they had questions about, um, it, it, you know, how does this happen? I said, well, you know, I tell them like I told you and I tell your audience, well, that's, that's the question that will be answered and, and that'll be answered based upon due process. And, yeah. uh, you know, some, some folks listening may say, oh, there's that due process thing again, and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Charlie Manson was entitled to due process right. as much as we despised him, okay, for all that he did. Um, so um, this, this uh, officer is entitled to due process. And I think, as in other cases, you're going to see things come to light that, you know, you can't really tell from a video blurb off of the news media. Well, is she in danger of being charged with manslaughter? Oh, I think, I think you're going to see, uh, my presumption is she's going to be charged criminally. They'll go after her civilly, and she'll probably lose her job if she hasn't well, she's already. already resigned. I, I do believe, she, I do she, believe she, was, she was terminated. But yeah, she then again... Resigned. Yeah, the, yeah. The, then again, um, you know, she has the right to due process. Yes, yeah, you, you're right. She she resigned along with the the chief today. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a matter of what the department is going to um, focus on, um, and what the district attorney's office there is going to focus on. And a lot, a lot of things are going to come into play, and you're going to find, as you are in the Chauvin case, um, mm-hmm. many different things come to light. Well, you saw the video, Ed, and we're talking to Ed Bogots. He's the uh, he's a guy who's been in law enforcement for 40 years. He uh, trains uh, prof- uh, police officers in the use of force. So, yeah, he's an adjunct professor at John Jay College. Uh, and also at uh, down in Steubenville at uh, Franciscan University. Yeah, Franciscan University. Sorry. Um, so you, I, I, I'm guessing you saw the video. I, I'm just wondering what you think in general about how the whole thing was handled, and and if she had a, a shot the uh, the victim with a taser, would we? And it just did what a taser is supposed to do. Would we even be talking about this? Would it have been considered an overreaction? No, I don't, and I think that if a taser was deployed, I think there's a high probability that we wouldn't be having this discussion because um, the taser, you know, acts as as a motor dysfunction tool where it interrupts the electrical impulses in the body, and the body kind of goes rigid and you can't control it. Um, so, so the officers, I believe, at that time, there were two of them in place to probably tactically be able to handcuff and de-escalate the situation in my opinion from what i've seen yeah, the guy was in the, the guy was going to try to drive away and he actually uh was involved in an incident 
I don't know how long ago it was, but I think I saw this, that he was involved in an incident, and he did jump in a car and take off. Uh, yeah, so and, and here's to... the dangerous thing a police officer has to realize, and this is always going through their mind. Okay, this person was somewhat compliant, then breaks away, becomes actively aggressive, goes into the car. Now, the officers have no idea what is in that car. They have no ideas if there's a hidden compartment, if there's a firearm tucked between the seat or under the seat, where this person can, and there have been situations where police officers have been shot and killed um, by actions like this where the the suspect reaches and grabs something, comes up, sticks them with a knife, or or uses a firearm. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's, it's... it's a situation of the unknown, and we have to train our officers to think on, on many multiple levels, and it's, it's, a, it's become a very complex world for law enforcement. I, and um, I, I, I take my hat, hat off to each and every one of the officers that, that, that dare go out and, and, and do this job because it's, be- mm-hmm. it's become very difficult. I got a couple minutes left here, Ed. Um, I saw a video, uh, I think today or yesterday. I guess it was today. Um, it was a guy who was he was saying this. Uh, he had said it a while back before this incident happened with Dante Wright, the kid who was killed by the woman just the other day. Um, he said, "If you're a, if you are in in a confrontation with a woman uh, police officer." You better make sh- you better hope that you're wearing a, a bulletproof vest because a woman, especially if you have a a much um, you have a big size ad- and strength advantage over her, she is more likely to take out her gun and shoot you because she's that that's basically her only defense at some point. You, you well, buy that I mean, theory at all? Well, you know, it, it, uh, partially, um, and I'm not saying that because I think that female officers you know, are less competent than male officers, there may be that distinct disadvantage that she may go through. And and that may lend to justification to go to um, the use of a a lethal weapon and using deadly force sooner than a male counterpart. Because, you know, those those types of things are taken into consideration. The size of, of the suspect, the physical capabilities of the suspect, you know, that officer may have a history, a knowledge of the history of this person being assaultive. And, hey, I don't care how big or small an officer is. You're not there to let people get away with putting their hands on you or resisting right. you during the course of a legal legal order. But um, I, would have to be, I would have to see statistics that say definitively, yes, that mm-hmm. is typical response because i don't i don't believe that but i do believe there are occasions that do happen uh, involving that type of of situation um but i think in general um uh, officers today are are probably better trained than they have been in years and better equipped than they have been in years and it's just um you know the walls are 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 tumbling down they're 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 coming in on us Hey, Ed, I'm, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm really glad that I have your number to call you when things like this come up, which they seem sure. to come up a lot. Uh, but uh, always good to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You take care. Okay, that's Ed Bogots, and uh, he's, a, he's a guy who's been around this for 40 years, and he knows his stuff. But we'll have him on again, I'm sure. We'll be right back. Are you dealing with personal or business tax issues with the IRS? Does the thought of wage garnishments, bank levies, tax penalties, or having to engage with the IRS worry you? Owing taxes to the IRS or state can be stressful, and ignoring them can make your situation worse. At Federal Tax Law Group, we help individuals and businesses reduce debts and negotiate with the IRS Fresh Start Program. Our assistance can save you from drowning in taxes and may even keep you free of prosecution. With over two decades of experience, our tax professionals understand your needs and will customize a tax solution that's in your best interest. Call Federal Tax Law Group at 800-500-9172 for a free consultation to discuss resolving your tax problem. That's 800-500-9172. Again, 
800-500-9172 or visit us online at federaltaxlawgroup.com. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offer's valid through 63021. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrustpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrustpittsburgh.com. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, I'm glad we got a, a chance to talk to some smart people about a couple of interesting subjects in the news today. Uh, I really like having uh, these guys available. Uh, Paul Arkin from the Heritage Foundation and Ed Bogots, uh, who's a, a adjunct professor of Police uh, of law enforcement and uh, criminal justice at uh, John Jay College. Um, I, I, the 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 antitrust thing though. Getting back to the sports angle, um, I've just never understood how uh, all four leagues get away with it. And uh, I still, even though uh, Paul explained it well, I still don't get it uh, how they're able to get away with it. And I think it's only because of gutless politicians. That's my guess. Uh, that they don't push it hard enough, and and these all four leagues have have been able to get politicians to steal money from taxpayers to build their buildings, stadiums, arenas, and that kind of thing. Um, and I don't blame the teams one bit for taking the money, but I, I blame the politicians. And for for Major League Baseball to do what it did with the whole Georgia uh, voting law situation and moving the All Star game. Uh, that, that, that's just that's beyond stupid from a PR standpoint, but uh, it just needs to stop. They, they, they have too much power, and I say break them up. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it today, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.